Glory to God. Glory to his name. He's worthy. Amen. Open your Bibles with me, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 1. Praise the Lord. The book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. When you got it, say so. And it says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith in that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace and your kindness toward us. Heavenly Father, we ask you right now that you would speak to our hearts, Lord God, that you would make your will and your ways known unto us, Lord God, that you would be glorified in us, my God. I pray that we would not be hearers alone of your word, but God, that we would be doers of your word, that we would respond to you in faith, Lord God, and that we would walk, Lord, with greater confidence in who you are, and who you've called us to be. We pray these things in Jesus' good name. Someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, one of the outlines, please raise your hand so our ushers can get you one. Before I start, we have a few, a few hands that are up. And as they are handing out, just keep your hands up. As they're handing those out, there's a video that I want you to see. And then we'll, I'll come back and we'll get into the message here.
Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, as you'll notice, for the last four weeks, we've been trying to play some different videos and plugging Connect. And for those of you that are with us and don't know what Connect is, Connect Life Groups. Those are our small groups that we get together in weekly, and we share um, fellowship with each other. We share food with each other. We, um, we meet in different homes, different places, and we get together. We discuss the sermon. We encourage one another. We pray for one another, challenge one another. And as you saw, we laugh with one another, and it's a good time, right? It's something that is very important. And I believe on the first First slide there, when it introduces, it says one of the, the theme there is because life is meant to be shared. And so God meant that we shared life with one another. Amen? And so it's very important to us that you do get connected. Now, Pastor Chad, who you saw in the beginning of the video, he is not here today. He is away um, on vacation or a little, little vacation, a little weekend getaway. And so if you are not in a connect group presently, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to consider that. And if you would like to get more information on it, you can see myself or one of the other pastors, and we'll be more than um, happy to help you to get connected. Amen? All right, and so right now we are in the book of Ephesians. We are continuing in our series, Walk Worthy. And so last week we were supposed to start repeating our memory verse. How many of y'all have memorized the verse already? Let me see your hand. Throw it up there. Come on. What? Three, three weeks? Come on. What, 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 what's up? What's up? Verse 1. Oh, he got verse 1. Okay, all right. We're taking, we're taking baby steps, right? All right, all right. That's okay. I knew none of y'all were going to raise your hand because I know you're waiting for me to lead you in this memorization of the verse. Um, but our memory verse, again, for those who may not be aware, our memory verse for this particular book is going to be Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Jordan, can you get that ready to come up here on the screen? And it's going to be, and, and um, for this week, we'll probably put it up there maybe next week, but I want you to get into the habit of saying it, repeating it and so meditating on that scripture so it's Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 and the reason why we want to memorize verses remember we went through the book of Galatians we memorized that one verse in Galatians Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 we memorize that so that way we can understand the heart of the book we can get we can get some clarity and we can ha hold on to something and so while I wouldn't say that Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 3 are necessarily the heart of the book what I would say is that it is a transition point in the book and it's very important to realize that everything that you are learning in chapters 1 through 3 should cause you to live out chapters 4 through 6. Amen? Amen? I got like two amens and one head shake. Glory to God. And so we shouldn't just get excited about the indicatives of the gospel, right? We should get excited about living out the truths of the gospel, right? So that's what we want to do. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I'm going to try to try to say this by memory once, and then we'll, we'll say it together, okay? So I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness. With, baby, you're cheering me on. Got me nervous. Glory to God. My wife's back there like, there you go, glory to God. Okay, so with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen? And so that's our memory verse. It's not that hard, right? I said three verses. You're like, oh my goodness, three verses. That's easy. That's like one verse, right? I'm just saying. So let's say it together. You repeat after me. I, therefore, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord, the Lord. beseech you. To walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit 
in the bond of peace. All right, we good. Amen. Give God a hand of praise. Let's work on that. All right, so we'll, 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 we'll start saying it together a little bit more because next week y'all are going to come in ready to rock. Amen. I'm going to see some hands up. I'm, I'm going to, you know, glory to God. Not just my wife cheering me on, but some other hands. Glory to God. Like, come on, you know, we got this thing. And, and hopefully by the end, we'll be able to get some people to come up here and say it as well. All right. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. In your outline, you can follow along with me here really quickly. Um, just looking down at that. And the one thing, if there is one thing that the book of Ephesians should do is magnify the sovereignty of God and the wisdom of God and the power of God. When we look at the book of Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, they are overwhelming. They are overwhelmed with so much amazing revelation of the power of God and the work of salvation in our lives. And so what we see, we talked about this on the first week, was we see the Godhead, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Ben, can you lower me a little bit, please? We see the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working, thank you very much, working in conjunction to bring to pass the will of God in our lives. And so we see God the Father's plan, we see God the Son's sacrifice, and we see God the Holy Spirit's present work bringing to pass God's will in our lives. And as we shall see today, again, we learned this in the first weeks, is that God's work, or that, that God's, God works all things for his glory and our ultimate good, but also something else that we'll see is that our lives have been changed for more than just our eternity, but that of others as well. And so God didn't just save us just to save us. He didn't just save us to give us our, you know, the, a good life. He didn't just save us so we could feel better about ourselves. He saved us with the purpose of ministering to the lives of other people. And as we'll see, an actual, an actual showing forth of his grace for all of eternity, we will consistently and constantly for all of eternity be praising and glorifying God. And look at it this way. The people that were written to you know, almost 2,000 years ago, these people are in heaven glorifying and honor of God, honoring God, and they are to the praise of his glory and letting, God, and, and letting anyone who is in heaven already seeing what? That God is able to save them and keep them and has allowed them to bring glory to his name for all of eternity. So our lives will be that. And so one of the greatest mysteries here back in your outline is that of God's sovereign work in salvation and sanctification and our accountability for our walk before God. So one of the biggest struggles that mankind has in general with the sovereignty of God and the will of God, you've heard the arguments about free will, right? Y'all have heard those, you know, well, we have free will, but do we really have free will? Because then when you start talking about the sovereignty of God, you start looking about at things like predestination, like we saw here, things that were ordained in time past. We start looking at that stuff. Then we start to ask questions. Well, how is it? And this, this is the big question here. It's in your outline is if God is totally sovereign, then how can man be accountable to God for anything he does or doesn't do. If God's absolutely sovereign, if God is in control of everything, then how is it that I'm going to stand before God and be accountable for everything because he was in control of everything? And here is my answer. It's real deep for you. It is this. It is a mystery. Hello. Okay. I want you to understand. We're not supposed to understand this in its totality. We will never fully grasp how God's sovereignty works hand in hand with our accountability. We'll never fully grasp how God's sovereign power, totalness in control, his ability to do whatever he wants to do, how that couples together with my free will and I'm still accountable for the way that I live. But here's the reality. Both of these things are true. Hello. 
Both of these things are truth in the scripture that God is totally sovereign and that man is 100% accountable for his actions, his behavior, his decisions, the things that he does or does not do. We will give an account. Hence, the title of this series, Walk Worthy. Because what should happen is we must discipline ourselves to trust God's work, but at the same time, we must be diligent in our walk. And so we want to walk worthy of the calling of God that is upon our lives. And so the first thing I ask you to repeat after me as far as the points in this outline is, God is at work even in those working against him. God is at work even in those who are working against him. Now, I want you to look at this, the first three verses here, okay? And, and look at what the Apostle Paul is saying. I want to point out one thing to you, and it is this. If you're reading the New King James Version, you will notice, and maybe some other versions. I didn't read every single version, so I can only tell you about two versions. I can tell you about the King James Version, and I can tell you about the English Standard Version, and then I can tell you about the original Greek. Oh, so I guess that's three versions. But here's the thing. The first thing is that in the King James Version, you will notice what it reads here. It says, and you, and then it says, he made alive. And that word, those words, he made alive, those words are italicized, okay? And so whenever you see words italicized in your Bible, usually what that means is they are not in the original Greek there, but they were placed there by the translators in order to bring some clarity to the thought that the writer was writing in that, in that particular uh, moment or whatever the scriptures were saying there. And so in the original, in the Greek, the way that this would read is, you would not read, he, and, and he made you alive, you won't read that. It will say, and you, he made alive. In the ESV, it actually does does that. It says, I mean, it doesn't say, and you he made alive. It says, and you who were dead in trespass and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also you all once conducted yourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And so notice how depressing that is. Because when you don't have, and he made you alive, it's just, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and sin. And then he goes down this list of things, and what he's doing is, and I, and I, can, I cannot explain to you why the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is doing this, because if we're only supposed to talk about good stuff, right, that's what we all want to hear, good stuff, right, amen, I'm just saying. I don't like to hear about anything of my past. I don't want to hear about anything that I used to do. All of those things were ugly, horrible, right? And so Paul, the apostle, is, is communicating something that we just shared a couple of weeks ago, that there is bad news to the gospel and there is good news in the gospel. That's all he's doing. And he's giving us a clear breakdown of the bad news of the gospel. And notice what he does in this last verse. We're going we're to work through this together. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 3, the last thing. He says, just as the others. Say, just as the others. What he communicates there is he says, I'm not talking about you present tense, but I'm talking about others present tense. He is saying this is the way that we used to conduct ourselves. He's letting us know something. And so the backdrop becomes really dark when, he, when you read this in its context. And so he says here, he says, and you who were dead, say dead. He says dead, and so we talked about this word dead before. I told you I looked it up, and it meant dead, right? So that's a really, you know, it, it really clearly points out you were dead. And I want you to realize this, though, because when we think of dead, sometimes we get the wrong idea. But death, it should be kept clearly in mind that death is not extinction of being or inactivity. Spiritual death is the state of separation from God and his life. Did you get that? 
Spiritual death is the separation from God and his life. Death itself is a separation, whether physical, the separation of the person from his body, or spiritual, the separation of the person from God. And so what happens is when we think about being dead in our trespasses, it's, it's like, you know, you see that. Sh- I, I, I've never even seen the show. I'm just assuming by the title, The Walking Dead is like zombies, right, walking around, right? And so it's people that you look at, they seem to be alive, but they're not. And so what is happening is there is some function that is going on. Their, their, their mental capacity is not what it should be. Obviously, in the zombie movies, I've seen a few of those. And so obviously, in those movies, these people, they just want to eat flesh. Hello. But it kind of is, it's kind of depictive of us before we come to Jesus because all we want to do is live in the flesh. All we want to do is consume our fleshly desires, right? That's all we want to do. Our greatest desire, our great. When before I came to Jesus, all right, and for some of you, you may have never heard me say this before, but I was a weed head. Hello. Okay, and so what, what, what that meant, for those of you that are sanctified, I don't know what that was. I used to smoke a lot of marijuana. All right, so the point is, I used to wake up every morning, and the first thing on my mind wasn't go pray. It was, yo, when am I going to go get high? That was my first thought every morning when I got up. Why was that? Because I was in a nature, a state of death. But if you would have told me I was dead, I would have been like, you're crazy. I am alive. Hello. Right? I would have communicated like I was living because no one realizes this because there is a part of us that is still active. And so what the apostle does is he says, and you, he, and you who were dead in what? Trespasses and sins. And so I want us to look at these words really quickly, trespasses and sins. And you don't, you don't have to write down the full definition. Make a little note if you want. But the word trespass, and the reason why I want to look at these two together is because they sound similar, and they are very similar in their definition. But there's something that he put, there's a reason why he put two words there, okay? And so the word trespasses is a Greek word, and that Greek word is paraptomo. And so what it means is it means to fall beside a person or a thing. And so the idea is like if you and I are walking together and you fall, that's what this word means, right? Like you're walking next to me and you fall while we're walking together. It means to slip aside. Hence, it means to deviate from the right path. It means to turn aside or to wander. And so when, 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 when we're reading in, during the communion time and we talk about all of us like sheep have gone astray, we have all trespassed, right? We have all gone astray. We have all left the path when we're talking about it. Remember we preach in the bad news. The bad news was that all men have a sin problem. And so what this is talking about is our sin. And so the word paraptomo, sin, is looked upon as a lapse or deviation from the truth or uprightness, a trespass or misdeed. And so this is more about what we are doing, what we're ignoring God about, how we're going in our own direction, right? And so again, remember, we're talking about before Jesus. We're not talking about after we come to Christ. We're talking about how these people are being characterized and how we were characterized when we're looking at this was us before. And so first off, it is that, is that word trespass. And then the word for sin is the word, and I gave you the definition of this one. It's harmartia in the Greek, and it means to miss the mark. It means to fall short like a spearman aiming at a target and missing it. It also means to fail of one's purpose or to go wrong. Now, I like that because it brings something out of the definition, to fail of one's purpose. Now, think about this for a moment because we all have heard messages about our purpose, right, and what our purpose is in life. But when you think about the core purpose that you and I have in this world, what is that purpose? Think about that. You don't have to answer, obviously, but think about it. When you think about, okay, well, what's my purpose? And so some people will automatically go, well, my purpose is to be a parent, or my purpose is to be this, or my purpose is to be that. Let me give you 
what our core purpose is, and it is bound in original in, in original creation. We were created in the image and the likeness of God. I've said this word before, imago Dei, the image of God. We are the image bearers of God Almighty. And when sin enters the picture, the image of God becomes marred in our lives because rather than living for the glory of God, we are living for the glory of ourselves. And so what happens is all of us are like this. And so we all trespass, right? We all deviate from the path. We all ignore, but we also fall short of our purpose. And the, and the verse that really drives this point home is Romans chapter 3, verse 23. And you guys know this by memory. For all have sinned, hamartia, right? Missed the mark, right? We've all missed the mark. And then he goes on and he says what? And fall short of the glory of God. Because we are not just supposed to obey some commandments. We are image bearers. Understand that. There is great glory in that, right? There is great responsibility in that. There should be great encouragement in our lives to realize that God has literally invested his image in us. And he calls us to bear that image of his glory. That is the reason why we fall short because God never fails to be God but we fail at some point sometimes in our lives even after we come to Jesus we fail to bear his image in every situation at all times that's the reason why the grace of God is so amazing because we don't live for our fleshly desires. We come to a great Savior who has condemned sin in the flesh, who has liberated us and has allowed us to have this relationship with him, that we can bear his image imperfectly, but we still bear his image. And so when he talks about these things, this is what he says here. He says that the state of death was linked to what? To trespasses and sins. What did he say? He said, in you who were dead and trespasses in sins. And so he connects those two. And what is that? Why does he connect those two? It is because it had to do with the moral and ethical part of the individual, his reasoning, his will, and his emotion. He was living in a state of separation from God and his life. And what was happening was God was not energizing or controlling his reason, his will, or his emotions. So what happens is, before someone comes to Jesus, you ever notice how you, you just sometimes, I don't know about you, but I know that I've had conversations with people, and I'm like, man, I don't even understand how they think like that. I don't understand how they reason that way. But then I come back to reality, and I remember, I used to reason that way. Then I come back to reality, and, you know, have my little humble pill, and I'm like, wait a second, man. You don't always reason so perfectly either, right? And so what happens is, I, and I'll give you another story since I already talked about the weed thing. When I, before I came to Jesus, right, my grandmother, she's not here today, but my grandmother, she was a Christian. She was the only person who was a Christian in our home. And she always talked about this one principle. It was called tithing, right? And in her, talk, in her conversation, I don't know how I picked up the idea that when you tithe, you were blessed, but I got that conversation, understood it somehow. So when I was in the world, I had this great idea, right? I wasn't going to work. I was going to start selling weed. Hello. But you know what I was going to start doing as well? I was going to start tithing because I wanted my marijuana business to be blessed. Y'all ain't hearing what I'm saying. Listen, I'm giving you a picture of just ridiculous reasoning. But why was I? Because I was not controlled by God. I got a principle from God, and I was like, man, I want to be blessed. I want everyone to buy my stuff. And so, well, yeah, I got a tithe, so I'm going to start tithing. I wasn't going to be a Christian. I was like, y'all go to church on Sunday. I was going to be the drug dealer in church on Sunday. Hello. Listen, the, de the enemy had my mind, right, had my reasoning, had my will in a place that it shouldn't have been. But this is the reality for all of us. Say all of us. 
Not some of us. He says it clearly. He says we all conducted ourselves this way. And look, you may have never even smoked, you know, um, any, any kind of marijuana. You may have never done any kind of drug. You may have never been to a club. But listen, you have a sinful nature that was dominating your life before you submitted to Jesus. You didn't have to be out there being crazy in order for you to be sinful. Are you here? And so what we realize, he says this, he he goes on to say, he says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according, say once walked. Now I want you, I want to give you the definition of this word. Now listen, this is important that you remember this because we're going to talk about this word walking two times in this message, this time right now. And then at the end of the message, and it's very important because the definition of the, or this same word is used twice within this chapter here for us to understand some things. And so when he talks about walking, it is the word, it's a Greek word. And what the Greek word means, it means to walk. It means to make one's way. It means to progress. It means to make due use of opportunities. In the Hebrew, what it means is it means to live or to regulate one's life, to conduct oneself or to pass one's life. I'll read it again. I know that was real quick, but hear me when I say this, okay? What it means, it means to walk, right? So it means it's the way that we walk, the way that we do things. It means to make one's way. And so I make my path based on either the, my flesh or, 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 my, or my salvation, one of the two. I make my path based on God's will or my will. Those are the two things that happen. And so it means to make one's way. It means to progress. And so what I do is I grow, I make progress, and I measure my progress on what? Based on my flesh or... I I base my progress on scripture. It's one of the two, but that's what it means in order for a person to walk or to conduct themselves in a certain way. And so it means to make due use of opportunities. So when I am apart from Jesus, I make due use of every opportunity. So what I told you just a moment ago, every moment I got up, every day that I got up, I was thinking of the next opportunity for me to do what? To fulfill the lust of my flesh to fulfill the desires of my flesh. And so that's what this word is talking about. Obviously, the Hebrew word means to live. And so it's the way that I live my life or I regulate. Listen to that word. Regulate one's life. I regulate my life based on either God's will or my will. I'm regulating my life. I'm I'm, I'm walking according to a certain pattern. And so, again, to conduct oneself or to pass one's life. And so he says this here. Look what he says, and we'll look at this verse more in detail. He says, in which you once walked. Say, once walked. According. Say, according to the course of this world, right? So you don't have to say that part. So you walked according to the course of this world. So that's one one area there. So you walked according to the course. What does that mean of of this world? He's talking you walked according to the system of this world. You walked according to the principles of this world. You walked according to the standards of this world. You lived your life for the glory and honor of your flesh. That's what he's saying here. So the first enemy that we have that's revealed here, and the reason why I'm doing this is because you should see three enemies that arise in this passage. The first enemy that is shown here, it's not to say that it's in any kind of order, but the first enemy that is shown is the world system. And so understand this church, please hear me when I say this. The Bible is not anti-culture or anti-world. The Bible is, however, counter-cultural. What do I mean by this? I'll give you an example. One of the big topics that we deal with in our lives is that our our, our society is inundated. Listen, if they want to sell you beer, they're going to put a half-naked woman up there. So do you really want the beer or the half-naked woman? Which one is it that you want? Well, you want to watch the woman, and hopefully you'll be motivated to get the beer. Just saying, right? 
I mean, you're, so you're trying to sell someone something. You're trying to sell someone vacations. And, you know, when you're, sensuality is a big deal. And so sensuality comes from what? It comes from something natu- natural called sexuality. Are you hearing me? Now, here's the thing. The world system perverts what God ordains to be good. And so the world system, we begin to follow that system, and we look at sexuality from the wrong place, and it becomes sensuality instead of pure, godly sexuality. That's what I mean. You don't reject sex. You reject the system of this world's way of thinking about sex. Are you hearing me? All right, some people got excited. Glory to God. I'm happy we have some good marriages. I'm just kidding, okay? I'm just kidding. Amen, amen. They, they, they won't reject that at all. Glory to God. And so ultimately what we, what we realize is that the Bible is not anti-culture. So the Bible doesn't want to say no to these things. It wants to say, hold on a second, does the culture see the things the way the word of God does? And as a believer, it is important for us to do what? To measure all of our life, not by the cultural standards, but by what? The biblical standards. And sometimes biblical standards and cultural standards are going to do what? They are going to collide. And you and I are going to have to make a choice. Am I going to live according to the biblical standard, which is righteousness, truth, holiness, God's will, or the world standard, which is none of those things. It's just if it feels good, do it. If you like it, it's good. If it's truth to you, it's truth. Hello. And so we want to make sure that we see this. So he says they conduct themselves according to the course of this world. And I like the word according because what he's saying is that you walked in line with. You walked in accord with not only this world, but look at the next thing that he says here. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Now, hold on a second. I don't believe in that song. It's an old song, The Devil Made Me Do It. No, I don't believe in that. But what I do want you to know is that there is a real devil who is really influencing people. So the first enemy that we see that's mentioned here is the world system that is counter scripture, that is against what the Bible teaches. And the second enemy that we see is we see this prince of the power. Now, when you look at that word prince, that is giving someone authority. And so what I want you to realize is that the devil does have some authority. Hello. He has some authority. He says he's where? The prince of the power of the air. He has authority in the spirit realm, okay? The beauty of it is, and we'll see it again, but just by way of reminder, where was Jesus seated? He was seated far above all principality, all power. So although um, Satan may be the prince of the air, Jesus is the king of the air. Hello. And so we need to see that, right? And so what we realize is that they are walking in accordance with this world system or the course of this world and also according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work in who? The sons of disobedience. And so when someone is walking in disobedience and dishonoring God, there is a spirit in operation in their lives. Doesn't mean they're demon-possessed, hello? Hello? It means that there is a spirit that is operating. There is something that is influencing them. It's not just the world system. There is something else that is baiting them. There is something else that is motivating them. And so he says that, the, that, that they walk according to this. And then in verse 3, he says, among, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. In what? In the lust of our flesh, our third enemy here. So we have the pattern of this world, then we also have the second issue here, which is the spiritual battle that we have, and then the third thing is our flesh. 
When we all used to walk according to our flesh. So here's the thing that we, got under, that we need to understand. It is that when you and I give into the desires of our flesh, we are giving into not just the desires of our flesh, but we are also walking in alignment with the spirit that is in operation within the sons of disobedience. And so if you're a son of Jesus, a daughter of Jesus, it is very important that you disalign yourself as often and as much as possible with the world system. It doesn't mean you leave the world. It's that you don't embrace the values of the world. It is very important that you recognize the spirit that is in operation because don't think for one moment that those spirits are not trying to influence us as Christians. Hello? And don't think for one moment either that this flesh doesn't try to rise up because those things all occur. But Paul says all these things. He's saying these people are like this. But look what he goes on to say. Fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind. And so our desires, our soul, our flesh, all of those cravings. And look what he says here. And we're by nature. Say by nature. By nature, what are we? Children of wrath. Children of wrath by nature. What is he saying? He's saying that we are born. He's he's talking about our birth. He's talking about us being born into sin. And so by nature, all of our inclinations, all of our desires are bent towards what? They're not bent towards God. They are bent towards this world. They are bent towards our flesh. They are bent towards our idolatry. And if you, please hear me when I say this, if you are in this place today and you are living for your flesh, you are living for your desires, I say this sincerely, you are living in a path that is going to have you meeting the wrath of God, not his grace and goodness. Because the Bible says that by nature we are children. Listen, when you think about the wrath of God, this is something that is big. This is not like mommy's wrath with her chancleta. Hello. All right. This is not even like mommy's wrath with an extension cord. I know some of y'all know about that. Or with a hanger or with a switch, you know, a tree, a tree limb. No, no, no. This is the holy, fierce, unadulterated, unhindered, unleashed wrath of Almighty God. And the reason why I say this is because there are some of us in this place that may not really be walking with Jesus, and we're kind of like halfway in, halfway out, or we think we're okay because we might make it. Listen, don't be okay with might making it. Make sure you're going to make it. And the only way that I can do that is by trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And by trusting in that gospel, by believing in what Jesus does, what happens is my life is changed. And so if you are living for yourself, don't lie to yourself and believe that you are okay with God. Repent of your sin. Turn from your sin unto Jesus. Turn from that way of thinking that does not bring glory to God. Turn from that way of being that does not honor God. Because listen, I don't love you nearly as much as God Almighty loves you, and he doesn't want you to experience his wrath. He does not want us to experience his wrath. Listen to me. Coming to church doesn't liberate you from God's wrath. Knowing some Bible doesn't liberate you from God's wrath. Being around Christian people doesn't save you from God's wrath. Being raised in a Christian home does not save you from God's wrath. God alone can save you from his wrath, and that is through his son. He says here that we are children, or or by nature, we are children of wrath just as the others. And so what we should understand from this is, is, is Paul is painting like the darkest backdrop ever. 
Like when he starts this chapter, it's, 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 it's crazy to me because we just came out of chapter one and I was like so excited. I was like, wow, this is so amazing. And, you know, the prayer that he prays and the power of God. And, and then he starts off in chapter two and he's like, and you who were dead in your trespasses and sin. And he paints this, this, this ugly, dark picture. And the, and, and the idea is this, is that man apart from God is totally lost, totally hopeless, and totally helpless to change his ways. It should be clear that dead is dead. And while it is still existing that you're dead and that you cannot walk worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus apart from God's intervention. It should be clear that we can't do that. But you, know, but you know what? Here's the beauty of this is that God will have a way of painting an ugly backdrop so he can show you the brilliance of his grace. Because the next verse in verse 4, I love it. And Pastor Aldo, when I was reading, he was like, yes, glory to God. Say, but God. But God. See, that, that, that right there is enough to just run out, run out of this place, glory to God. But God. I'm saying, he's like, all of these things, children of wrath, but God. He's like, look at this for a moment. Look at how amazing our God is. He comes, and while you are incapable of doing anything, he steps into the picture. While you are incapable of saving yourself, while you are incapable of responding to him, he saves, he, 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 he makes you alive with him. And so the second thing, say this with me, say, God is at work, God is at work. Even, even when we are un. Un. I knew y'all were going to say that too, be like, Bishop's crazy. God is at work, that, that, that is not a typo, hello. God is at work even when we are un, Hello. Even when we are on, glory to God. I'm going to get to what the un is, amen, hallelujah. It wasn't just one un, that's why I just left it as un, right? And so what happens is this, is that even while we were dead, all right, this is what he says. Even while we were dead, he, he goes on and he says that God makes us alive. What does this word dead mean? This word dead, it means breathing our last or lifeless or unaware, hello, unavailable, undesirable. Or unable, right? So those are the uns. So even God is at work even when we are what? When we are unaware that he's working. Hello. When we are unaware of our need for him. He is, he is there with us when we are unavailable to him. When we are so busy living our own life, doing our own thing, trying to do whatever we want to do to gratify our flesh, he is there when we are even unlovable or should I say undesirable. When we are, when we are dead in our sin, who wants that? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants someone that's dead in their sin but God. But God. And so when we are unable, that's another un right there, when we are unable to save ourselves, when we are unable to deliver ourselves, when we are unable to set ourselves free, but God. He comes into the picture. And God, it says here, now read with me, we're going to read in verse 4. It says, but God, and we're, we're, this point is going to be in verses 4 through 9. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Now, just pause for a moment. But God, who is rich in mercy. Now, when he says rich, he is talking about abundance. Hello. He is talking about an inexhaustible richness. This is what God is saying. So there is an abundance of mercy. Some scriptures say that, that, that his mercies are what? They are new every day, right? 
And so every day, there's this mercy. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy. In other words, he comes to all of us who are absolutely dead, who are absolutely rebellious, who are under the influence of demonic spirit, who are totally gratifying our flesh, and he comes to us with mercy. He doesn't want to show us his wrath. He comes to us in mercy. And how does he do that? He does that by coming as a form, in the form of a man, and he lives a perfect, sinless life to deal with our sin issues, and then he dies on the cross addressing our sin, and then he rises from the dead to deal with our death, death issue so that way we can have this eternal life. And he, because he was perfect, he dealt with all of our good works issue, and so now we can't do enough good to please God, but what he does is he pleases himself by coming and living perfectly, paying this great ransom for us to liberate us from what? To liberate us from his wrath. But not just to liberate us from his wrath tomorrow, but to liberate us from his wrath today. To liberate us now. And why does he do this? He says, this is why his mercy is inexhaustible. It says, look, 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 look at verse 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because, why is he rich in mercy? It's because of something. Why is his mercy inexhaustible? Because of something. He says this, because of his great love. Say great love. And in case you didn't get it, with which he loved us. So not only is his, he has this abundance of mercy, but the reason why his mercy is inexhaustible, because that is God's bank account. Hello. Right? You know, y'all have heard about, you know, that love account, you know, in your marriage, like you need to make deposits in there. Here's the beautiful thing. God doesn't need anyone to make deposits because he is the ultimate deposit. Are you hearing me? God declares himself, and he doesn't say he's everything, you know, like all these different attributes, but he does say this, God is love. And when he says that God is love, what he is communicating is this is my character, this is who I am. And when he says God is love, if God is eternal, that means he is what? He is eternally loving toward us. He is eternally showing us this love. And so what we realize here is that but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, say great love. It is his great love that motivates God's mercy, that moves God from the place of pouring out his wrath upon creation. Instead, he pours out his mercy. He shows us this great love. And then what he does is as a result of his great mercy and his great love, what he does for us is there's some results here. And so keep reading with me in verse, in, in, in verse 5. It says, even when we were dead, say even. He says, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So that's the first thing there. He makes us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up together. Say, raised us up together. That's the second result there. He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love it because we're not just sitting with Christ, but we are sitting in Christ. Amen? He says, And then he says this, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. And so that's the other thing there that we'll, that we'll look at together. And so he goes on and he talks about saving us by grace and he communicates this. And so he shows us the first thing that he does is he made us alive with Christ. He made us alive. We didn't make us alive. Hello. He made us alive. I didn't just wake up one day all of my own volition. Hello. I woke up one day because of the sovereign grace of God. I woke up one day because God awakened me. It wasn't that I did it. Listen, we need to understand this. 
The first thing is that he made us alive together with Christ. Now listen, I gave you a bunch of bad news about this whole old sinful nature. I want to I show you what happens when, when, you, when you are made alive in Christ. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 6. It's just, a, it's just a couple of books back. Romans chapter 6, very important, and we'll come back to Ephesians and go through there. But Romans chapter 6, and we're going to start reading from verse 1, and we'll read down to verse 4. I want you to see what God says happens to our sin when we are made alive in Christ. Look what he says here. Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, when you got to say so. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound, right? Like, well, look, man, we'll just keep sinning because grace abounds, right? So we'll just keep sinning so that way God's grace looks more great, right? That, that's like the mindset Paul is trying to contradict here. And he says this in verse 2. He says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? What he's saying is living any longer in it is we don't live in sin. We don't walk according to sin. We don't make all of our lives in a sinful way. But something happened in this transaction. He goes on to make it clear. He says, therefore, we were buried with him. Who is him? Jesus through baptism into death. He's not talking about water baptism. He is talking about the actual baptism into the body of Christ when we become born again, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. And so what happens is we were once walking according to the pattern of this world, once walking according to the spirit that is now in operation as sons of disobedience, once living our lives according to the flesh, fulfilling our desires, but now we have what? We have been crucified with Christ. The same way that we came to life in Jesus, we didn't just come to life and, okay, we're, we're alive now. No, we came, to, we came to life, but there was also this transaction that occurred. And if you keep reading throughout chapter 6, you'll find some things. And it's not like this is just like automatic light switch on, light switch off. Because what he says is he's like, reckon yourselves. He's like, you need to mortify your flesh. You need to re recognize yourself as being dead because your flesh is going to continue to rise. But you need to confess and believe God's word and live by the power of his spirit against those desires of the flesh that will rise up in your life. Are you hearing me? It's important that we realize this because it's not okay. Being a, being a Christian that is saved by grace is not some ticket just to live how you want to live. He said that we were made alive. So when we are made alive, that means that we are empowered by the Spirit of God to live for the glory of God. And I say it imperfectly, but nonetheless, we will live consistently for the glory and the honor of Jesus by the power and the grace of God. Because we identify with Jesus' death, not just in principle and precept, but in reality, something took place. Listen, I don't know about anybody in this place, but when I tell you that I was all those things that I say sometimes, listen, I was that. Today, I'm not that. Hello? Are you hearing me? I used to be those things. I used to crave those things. Do I battle with my flesh? Absolutely. But here's the thing. I'm not that person. I'm not bound in some kind of sin. And no one in here should be. And if you find yourself bound in sin and you say you love Jesus, listen, come to the power of grace in your life and understand that you have been set free because what? You have been made alive with Jesus. You have been given new life in Christ, and so we're called to live out this new life according to Romans. Let's turn back to the book of Ephesians. The first thing is that we have been made alive with him. 
That's the first thing that is the result of his mercy and this great love that he shows us is that we are made alive with Christ. The second thing that we see here, it says, but because of his rich mercy, even in verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We're going to deal with that in a moment. And he said, and raised us up together. Say, raised us up together. And so the same way that the resurrection power raised Jesus up is the same way the resurrection power of God is doing what in your life? It's raising you up. And he's talking about a positional thing and where we are seated in Christ in these heavenly places. And so just look back real quick. I want you to see this because when he says this, and we'll, 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 go, we'll go back to verse 20 in chapter 1. But when he says seated, that, that word seated is talking about dignity and dominion. He has seated us in a place of dignity, in a place of dominion with Christ. Are you hearing me? He seated us above, not beneath. He seated us above with Jesus. And so we are with Christ. We are obviously in submission to Jesus, but we are with him in authority, with him in power. Amen? And so look, he says this here. He says in verse 20, go, go, go back to verse, I mean, chapter 1 and verse 20 and verse 23. We read this last week. It says, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power. So if Jesus is seated there, where are you seated? You are in him, so that means if Jesus is far above principality, far above power, far above might, far above dominion, that means that I have been given a position in Jesus. Are you hearing this? I've been given a position with him. I have been seated with him. I am not, listen, I'm not waiting to get to God through someone else. I am getting to God because of Jesus. Are you here? And so we have this, this reality that we have been seated in these heavenly places with him. And so he is far above, so we are positionally seated with him. Now here's why this becomes so important. Because while we live in this world, while we battle against this fallen nature, while we battle against a world system that opposes us, ridicules us, doesn't agree with our standards, what happens is this, is that we need to be reminded sometimes, hey man, I'm seated in heavenly places with Jesus. Because if you're honest, and I don't, I don't know about you, I, I know me, I don't always feel like I'm seated up there. Hello. When I'm in the thick of it, when I'm going through whatever I'm going through, I don't always feel like I have this authority or this dignity or this dominion, right? When, when, I, when I'm experiencing hardship, when I'm experiencing things going on in my life, I don't always feel like I am who I am. Hello. I don't always feel like that. That's the reason why the scriptures are so important for us. Because we are reminded that you've been seated in these heavenly places with your God, with your Savior, because of what he did. And so even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus. And then the third thing is this, he saved us for his glory as a generational and eternal showing or proof of his grace. So those three things, I'll point these out real quick. Those three things there, he makes us alive with Christ. So we couldn't respond to God alone, so he makes us alive. The second thing is, he seated us with Christ above. The third thing is, he saved us for his glory as a generational eternal showing or a proof of his grace. He says here in verse 6, I mean in verse 7, it says, that in the ages to come, say ages to come. 
he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So when he's speaking about ages to come, he's talking about eternity. But listen to what I'm saying. We are reading right now the book of Ephesians that is a testimony. And although we didn't see the people who were in that book, what we do know is we have a testimony of their salvation. And so for all of eternity, we will be showing forth. We will be the proof of God's grace. Isn't that awesome? We will be the proof, and we are today, and every day of our lives that we walk with Jesus, we are the proof of God's grace. We are the proof of his ability to save us. And so notice this, there's there's this verse in verse 5 here, and he says this, and you see in in, in most of your Bibles it's going to have this in parentheses. It says, by grace you have been saved. And then he goes on in verse 8, he says, for by grace you have been saved. He repeats this twice through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now listen, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not a, lingu- a linguist, right? I'm not like some kind of language professor. But what I want you to understand is something. Is when you look at verse 5, whenever I'm writing, you know, when I send out emails from those of you that receive emails from me, I put things in parentheses because of what? Because the thought or the statement, if you, look at your, if you look at your outline right there, I type that up, and you'll see there when I'm making the statement about, you know, the question about God's sovereignty, I wrote there he, and then I put in parentheses man because I wanted to make sure you knew who I was talking about or what I was referring to. And so when I'm writing and, you know, whatever, and, 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 and a big thought comes into my mind, but I don't want to make that whole thought part of the original sentence, I put it in parentheses, right? And so that's my reasoning for it. But here's what happens here in the, in the actual Greek, the actual, the way that it's built together. This, when you look at this, our salvation is literally, is literally by grace. And the statement in verse 5 in the Greek is what is called a paraphrastic construction. It's a paraphrase, right? And what he does is he puts this paraphrase in there. The reason why they do this is it is when the writer cannot get all the details of an action from one verbal form, so he uses two. So what he's trying to do is he's overemphasizing this reality for his, for his readers. When he's saying that they have been made alive together in Christ, he is communicating something, but he's making it clear, by grace you have been saved, and then he repeats it again in verse 7. Now, I want to give you the definition of this word, of, of, of this sentence, the way that this sentence would really sound if you were reading it in the Greek in its fullness. Listen to this. This encourages me. I hope it encourages you because someone asked a question about losing your salvation and all that stuff a few weeks ago, right? And here's what I said. I said, our security is in Christ. That's what I said right? That's the answer. Our security of our salvation is in Christ. But here's what the Greek actually says. It says to us that it says, by grace you have been saved in past time completely with the result that you are in a state of salvation which persists through present time. Let me read that again. Listen to what he's saying. By grace you have been saved in past time completely. Pause for a moment. 
and past time completely and the eternal plan of God and the eternal work of God. This is what this, is what this, this sentence is literally saying in the Greek. The weight of what the apostle is trying to communicate, he's saying that we have been saved in past time completely. Not partially, completely. This is in the, in, in the will and the mind and the power of God. And he said, with the result that you are in a state of salvation. And so he's saying to them, in past time, you were saved completely, and you are presently in a state of salvation. But he doesn't stop there, because he goes on to say, he says, and, and, and he, go, he goes on to say, which persists. So you are in a present state of salvation. And so God has saved you in his eternal plan and purpose, and then now, because of that plan and purpose, by grace, you have been saved, and so you are in this state of salvation. And then he closes it by saying, which persists through present time. And so what he is saying is, the same God who saved you by grace is faithful to keep you by grace. Are you hearing me? Now listen, some people will hear this and then they get off in this tangent, well, you know, I can live how I want to live. No, that's not true. Because remember what I said earlier, that question about God's sovereignty and my will, remember that? Well, Jesus says something in the Gospels when he's talking about the end times. He makes this statement, and he says, he who endures to the end shall be saved. And so what Jesus is talking about is people enduring through trial, enduring through hardship. And so here is what, what you have to get is that you don't, you, you can, you can, you, this life that you live today must be lived for the glory and honor of Jesus. You should never feel like, hey man, I can live how I want to live because that is a sign that your heart is wrong before God. Are you hearing me? Nobody who believes that they have been saved by grace eternally is going to live as though they can live how they want to live because they know that at the end, when we reckon with God, there's going to be some people that are going to come before them and say, hey, man, but I thought I was saved by grace. Yeah, you're right. But I never knew you. I never knew you. Apart from me, you worker of iniquity. Notice the question is never the works that they did in church. The question isn't, he doesn't say, oh, no, you prophesied and you were inaccurate. I didn't know what he said. We did mighty works in your name. Oh, no, they weren't in my name. He didn't say that. Miracles, he didn't say, he didn't say no, those are false. He didn't say any of that. What he, the, the condemnation was, apart from me, you worker of iniquity. It was because you lived in continual, perpetual sin. Your life didn't show what? The fruits of repentance. And so anyone who hears this and is like, oh, well, once saved, always saved. You better make sure. You can, you can, you can, you can, listen, you can apply that and you can say, well, I can't lose my salvation because it was eternally done. And this happened here. Well, glory to God. I can agree with you. But I'm going to tell you just like my dad said, someone who's really saved, they ain't ever going to live like that. Are you hearing me? Someone who's really saved is not going to, and, here, and here's what I, what, I, what I understand and what I believe to be 100% true is that God, listen, you can start walking away from Jesus. You can come to him one day and start walking away from him. He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to let you just die or just go on ahead and just die. In your sin. That is not the way God is. He pursues us continually, right? He pursues us with his love because what? Because he called us. We didn't call ourselves. Hello. 
He is the one that guarantees us. But look what he does. He says this. He goes on to say this. I hope you're you're encouraged by that, that you can be secure in the grace of God, that you can be secure that you did not do anything and you will not. Hear me when I say this. You did not do anything to secure your salvation and you will not do anything to secure your salvation. Well, Bishop, you just said that I have to live holy. And yeah, you living holy is God living through you. So in reality, you're not doing anything. I'm not doing anything. He's doing everything. Hello. He's li- but I'm accountable. Listen, I told you it was a mystery, but it's the truth. Glory to God. And so we live for the glory and for the honor and for the praise and renown of who Jesus is. We live for all of those things. And if you really know him, you will. If you're not living for him, then you need to really ask yourself, where am I and what is holding me back from following him with all of my heart? He makes this so clear for us. The apostle overemphasizes the reality that we are saved by grace. Look what he says. He says, for by grace, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, say that. When he's talking about that, what is he pointing to? He's pointing back to those other statements that he made. He's saying that grace and faith, those are what? Those are gifts. Those are gifts. He gives us this faith. He gives us this grace. This is what he does. It is not our own works. It is not us. And he makes it so clear. He says, that not of yourselves, it is the gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so what we realize is that he overemphasizes this, that our salvation is a gift from God and that it is by grace and that we can be confident, church. We can be confident 100% that if God saved us by his grace, that he will be faithful to keep us by that same grace. The third thing I ask you to repeat after me, and we're getting ready to wrap up here. Say this, God is at work empowering our walk. God is at work empowering our walk. The last verse here, and this is the verse that I got, I mean, I got excited about all these verses, but this is the one that I just wanted to focus on. The title of the message, by the way, was God's work, our walk. God's work, our walk. He says something that is so encouraging. He says, for we are his workmanship. Say workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I remember one of the greatest memories that I have as I was growing up was going to work with my grandfather or with my stepdad. And I don't even remember what I used to do with them. I know my stepdad, he used to, he was an upholstery guy. He used to do, um, he used to do um, curtains and stuff like that. And so I remember going with him to work. And I, don't, and I didn't do anything. I just was with him. And it was, like, awesome to be with him at work. And, you know, they gave me some fake tools and they gave me some fake responsibilities. And they were like, do this. And I was like, yeah, I'm working with dad, right? And then going with my grandfather, he worked construction, so, you know, it wasn't like I could go out on the construction site with him, but I would go to the office and sit in there with the ladies or whatever, and, and I, I didn't do anything. I was a little kid, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, um, you know, I'm sitting there and, you know, talking with them, and they put a hard hat on me and, you know, put a jacket on me, take pictures. And so I remember those things, right? And why, why is that? Why, why, why do I bring that up? Because what I realize is that when he says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do these works that were prepared beforehand, I realize that I not only get to go to work with my Heavenly Father, but that my Heavenly Father is at work in me, working through me. And every day I can participate with my Heavenly Father in eternal works. That is awesome. He says that we are his workmanship. In other words, he is involved intimately with us. 
He is involved into. Listen, even when I was un, hello, he was still involved in my life. Even when I was working against him, because if I'm not for him, I'm against him. Hello. Even in that, he was still working in my life. And so he calls us and he says, listen, we are his workmanship. We, are, we, we, we have been created. I, I like that word created because it means to make habitable. It means to form or to shape. It means to completely change and transform. And so what God does is he creates us in Christ Jesus and he makes us habitable for his spirit. He makes us a dwelling place where he dwells. He moves in and through our lives because of what? Because of his glory, because of his honor. Because he wills to do whatever it is that he's doing. In and through us, he makes us habitable. To do what? To do good works that were prepared. That word prepared is a word ordained. From before time began. Before the foundation of the world, God had the plan for your life. That's awesome. It's daunting, but it's awesome, right? It's like, wow, he had a plan for me. Am I doing it? Okay. But the beauty of it is that it is him who is going to work out those things in and through our lives. And so here are just, just a few things that we have to do because I said this. He, I said we would look at this word walk two times. He said this. These good works which were prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, the thing is that all of us are walking. The question is, are we the walking dead or are we the walking alive? That's the question. Am I walking according to his good works or am I walking according to my own desires? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Am I walking according to my plans or am I walking according to his great plans? I said it earlier, God has been at work all of our lives. The question is, have you humbled your heart before him in repentance of sin and faith in Jesus? If you don't know him, he's been working. He's working now. You're not here by coincidence. If you don't know him, if he's not really Lord of your life, is he, if he's not really master of your life, have you really repented of your sin? Have you really trusted in Jesus? God offers us the gift of salvation, new life. Jesus secured a seat for us. Have you accepted his offer? The same thing. Have you accepted that offer? And the third one for us that are believers in here, God wants our lives to reflect his grace and good works that point others to him. Now let me pause for a moment because when we think of good works, we automatically think about, you know, doing something in church or doing something that's great and grandiose or something like that. Let me tell you something. God wants you to do good works as a husband. He wants you to do good works as a wife. He wants you to do good works as an employee or an employer. He wants you to do good works in all areas of your life. If you're a student, he wants you to do good works as a student. He doesn't want, you know, your parents to get phone calls about you talking about you're doing this or you're doing that. He doesn't want your progress report to be shady and looking bad. He wants you to bring glory to him. I want you to think of your good works outside of the four walls of the church because he created us in Christ Jesus to do what? To be a showing forth, to be a proof of his amazing work in our lives. 
And so when I ask this question about you doing good works, I don't want you to just think about these other things. Now listen, you may be called to do some things in the church. You may be called to do some other things that are big. And I'll ask you why are you not doing those things. But what I'm talking about in general is that God wants all of our works to bring glory and honor to him. He knew you were going to be a mom. He knew you were going to be a dad. He knew you were going to be a son or a daughter. He knew you were going to be a grandparent. He knew you were going to be an employee working with those, you know, in that environment with those people. He knew all of those things. I remember that was one of the biggest things that God showed me when, before I came to him. It was that he knew me. He knew every person that was around me. And listen, I would even dare to say, and I, and I only say this because the reality was that he showed, even all of those people, he ordained for all of them to be there in my life. Nothing escapes God. So the question is, for us that, are, that call ourselves believers, are or am I walking, are you walking in those good works? And if not, why not? God is at work. He calls us to be, he calls us to be at work with him. And he wants to work in and through us for his eternal glory and his present purpose. Walking worthy of Christ in our daily walk. That's what he wants. He wants for us to walk worthy of him. Stand to your feet and let me pray with you.